Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to Branching Out, an upbeat, friend-building, Christian-uniting ministry. We discuss current issues in our Christian faith, chat about our lives, do a devotional, and offer prayers and praise that you share with us. Never be alone. Join us. You can reach us at our website, branchliving.com, through Facebook at Branch Living, and there we have an international community, and it would be a privilege to have you join us. There you can comment, post photos, prayer requests, praise reports. So join us at Facebook at Branch Living. You can also email your prayer requests and your praise reports to me at lisa at branchliving.com. We podcast twice a week now, uh, and we share a prayer to open our time together. The heart of our podcast is our Branch Living message, and there we talk about different issues in our lives. We then move to Christian news, views, and events interesting happenings in today's Christian family. And often, if there's time, we have a devotion by one of the Christian greats, and we end with your comments, your prayers, and your praise reports. So join us and spread the word. We would love to hear from you. And so at this point, let us gather our thoughts and just get quiet in the presence of God and join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together. We thank you for this time to listen to the words that you have and to be in touch with each other. We thank you so much for the gift of fellowship, even in times of pandemic, for this wonderful technology that brings us together. And we thank you for each person who's joining us today. And we ask your grace and your blessings on them. We pray this in your name. Amen. So today in Branch Living, we're going to talk about new and renew. And you know, I love to read about how others achieve their goals. You know, the woman who drops 140 pounds and now looks so healthy. Or the smoker who tried 12 times, but then finally kicked the habit. Recently, I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Mark Batterson, and he is pastor of the National Community Church in Washington, D.C., He's also a very uh, prolific author. He's written many books that have been bestsellers, and he just released a new book called Win the Day. And I haven't read it yet, but I have read several of his other books. And having heard his sermons and read his blogs, which serve as the basis for this book, I do plan to get a copy. And again, the name of the book is Win the Day. The focus of this new book is on the seven daily habits to help you stress less and accomplish more. And in it, Batterson notes that the average person, largely unknowingly, makes about 35,000 decisions per day. So no wonder so many of us have decision fatigue. So how do we make good decisions, decisions which can lead to goal achievement? And he says that one key, not the only key, but one key is making pre-decisions. So I had never heard this term before, pre-decisions. I don't know if he coined it, but once you hear it, it sticks with you. So what are pre-decisions according to Pastor Batterson? Well, they are the decisions you should make before you are faced with a decision. So I'm gonna say that again. They are the decisions you should make before you are faced with a decision. So he gives the example of a woman who wanted to exercise, but she found it very hard to climb out of bed early in the morning and get to the gym. Once she was at the gym, exercising was easy. 
but finding the motivation to go to the gym was tough. So instead of focusing on exercising, she made the pre-decision to ritualize calling the cab. So once she was in the cab, exercise would naturally follow and she scheduled the daily pickup. So her pre-decision then was to call the cab and then she didn't have to make the decision about whether or not to exercise. Pre-decisions can help you cut back on the number of decisions you need to make. Remember that 35,000 figure. Steve Jobs decided to wear only a black turtleneck and jeans to work. Every day he did this so he would never spend time wondering what to wear. This one small pre-decision removed 365 smaller decisions from his life every year. He never had to figure out what to wear. Pre-decisions can also direct your attention to the source of a problem. So let's say you want to quit smoking. If you firmly decide not to smoke, you will not have to ever again make the decision when you are offered a cigarette whether or not to accept it. You may still have cravings, but if you pledge not to hold another cigarette, then you are left with the true decision and that is how to beat those cravings, not whether or not to smoke. So I've just been using this tool on my own goal setting and now I ask myself, what decision can I make beforehand to make the goal easier to achieve? What can I determine to do now to make the barriers I set up such as my indecision, easier to overcome. One pre-decision I have recently made concerns exercise. So it is easy for me to exercise in the spring, in the summer, and in the fall months. And in large part, that's because I am indoors all day and it is actually a joy to have the privilege to be able to go outside and exercise. But once it starts to get cold, that decision becomes harder. In the summer, I leash up the dogs, I put on my earbuds, I listen to podcasts as I walk, and I do that without hesitation. There is no need for pre-decisions because just the pleasure of getting outdoors breaks down any mental barriers I have to exercising. However, in the dark, cold winter months like we're experiencing now, going outside is less of an option, and I find the treadmill does not have the same allure. So the pre-decision I have made is to only allow myself to listen to one of my favorite podcasts when I'm on the treadmill. So because I want to enjoy the podcast, I lace up my tennis shoes and I get on with it. So think about it. What pre-decisions can you make to help you break down barriers, to meet goals, or to reduce the number of decisions you have to make? Pre-decisions is just another great tool in goal achievement. So something to think about today, something that I have been thinking about when I find myself a bit reluctant to, uh, to do something or wanting to break a habit and not finding a way to do it, these pre-decisions are wonderful. So a little piece of advice for you. So now I want to turn to Christian news and um, it's kind of disturbing, but I think it's very important for us as Christians to know what's happening in different parts of the world and how Christians are being persecuted for their faith. We've talked a bit about 
uh, what's happening in Nigeria. But today I'm going to focus on an article that was published by Open Doors. Open Doors is a ministry that really is aggressively trying to help the persecuted church. And so uh, this article is called Meet the Five Christian Prisoners in North Korea. Having any specifics about North Korean prisoners is rare, but our field has compiled information about a few prisoners in North Korea, and we can pray for them by name. We know their names because they actually come from outside of North Korea. Because North Korea considers itself the only legitimate government of Korea and sees South Koreans as its own citizens, someone with South Korean citizenship is very rarely released. Christians may receive the same cruel and hostile treatment as any North Korean whose faith in Jesus is exposed. This includes torture, labor camps, and possible execution. And so Open Doors asks, will you read the short stories of these five Christian prisoners and commit to praying with them as they face unimaginable conditions? So it's called Meet the Five Christian Prisoners of North Korea. Kim Jong-wook is a Baptist missionary who ran underground churches and shelters for North Koreans in China. Kim also helped North Koreans escape to South Korea. According to one of our sources in Seoul, South Korea, Kim went into North Korea looking for information about a group of North Korean women who had escaped to China, were caught, and then repatriated back to North Korea from China. He was also seeking information to learn about the food shortages in North Korea. So in August of 2012, a group of 12 North Korean women were caught by Chinese authorities while they were at Kim's shelter. They were sent back to North Korea. His desire to find out what happened to them and to learn about a North Korean food shortage led him to enter the country last October, Ju says. He said he is accused of allegedly spying, trying to set up underground churches, and malignantly hurting the dignity of the ruling Kim family. Kim was arrested in 2013 and sentenced to a life of hard labor in 2014. Reports have emerged indicating that his health situation has deteriorated due to the deplorable conditions he is facing for his faith, including hard labor, malnutrition, and possible torture. So again, his name is Kim Jong-wook. Kim Koo Lee, a Christian missionary who ran a shelter in China for North Korean defectors and Chow Chung-kil, another Christian missionary, were both arrested in the Chinese border city of Dangdong, accused of, quote, conducting religious propaganda against North Korea. They were sentenced to hard labor in 2015. Ki's health is also poor. Ko Hai-chol is a North Korean defector who also who gained South Korean citizenship, became a missionary, and was accused of plotting to kidnap North Korean children who would be sold for adoption in other countries. He was sentenced to a life of hard labor in 2016. And Kim Won-hoo, another North Korean defector who has become a South Korean citizen and missionary, was abducted in China in March of 2016. 
Reports and even drawings from ex-prisoners give us a glimpse of what a life of hard labor in a North Korean prison camp might look like, something reminiscent to what you might have seen in World War II documentaries about the Nazi death camps. A former prisoner who was detained in one of the prisons shared several glimpses of prison life in a series of drawings called Here is Where We Live, Work or Die. In one disturbing illustration, prisoners are carrying a bucket full of excrement and mud to fertilize the land. In another drawing, a starving prisoner pretends to be asleep and uses his measly food ration to catch a mouse, which he will quickly eat to avoid starvation. For North Korean prison camp survivor Hei Wu, torture and deplorable conditions were daily life. Imprisoned in the re-education camp, she was released, but Hei Wu recalls the routine. 5.30 a.m. Roll call in the barracks. We lined up with our heads bowed until we were all accounted for, and then there was time to wash ourselves. 6 a.m. Breakfast. We lined up again and slowly moved through the barracks where the food was distributed. This took a lot of time. We got only a small cup full of rice, maybe two or three spoonfuls in total. 8 a.m. Work. We marched to outside the camp to the countryside where we had to do agricultural work until lunchtime. There was no break. Prisoners have no right to rest. Noon. Lunch about the same amount of food as during breakfast and dinner. 2 p.m., back to work. 6 p.m., the criticism session. We had to criticize each other and ourselves about the things we did wrong that day. After that, dinner. 8 p.m., ideological training, the hardest part of the day. We were hungry, we were tired, our eyes fell closed, but we had to stay awake we had to pay attention or we would be punished. 9.30, the counting of the prisoners. 10 p.m., go to bed. Every day was like torture, she said. People were dying and their corpses were burnt. The guards scattered the ashes over the roads. We walked that road every day and each time I thought, one day the other prisoners will be walking over me. Thankfully, He Wu's premonition did not come true, and she was eventually able to escape from the prison and from North Korea. He Wu shares a, about a life that an estimated 50,000 to 70,000 Christians imprisoned in North Korea currently live. I know it can be difficult to think about such a vast number of people living this way for a, quote, crime of following Jesus and for sharing the gospel. And maybe that's why the writer of Hebrews 13.3 encourages such a personal response. Remember those in prison as if you were together with them. The threat of North Korean prison. In North Korea, the country leverages three types of prisons and the threat of spending your life in one to exert control over its citizens and keep them in line. They have detention centers, so after arrest, most prisoners are first sent here where they are interrogated and tortured. Prisoner survivor Hannah remembers that in one of those centers, they beat us so harshly when we were interrogated, we had to kneel in our cells from 5 a.m. to noon and not speak. We did not receive any food or any water and we were not able to sleep. 
re-education camps. Those who are considered not political prisoners are usually sent here. Conditions are poor, but prisoners will usually be sent to a camp close to where they are from so families can bring them food and clothes. Prisoners work during the day and then attend re-education classes at night, learning about the country's ideology and the teachings of King Sung II. The work is exhausting. It can be dangerous. For example, prisoners working in a mine have very little hope of survival, and if they do survive and complete their sentence, they will be allowed to leave because now they have been, quote, suitably re-educated. And then the third type of prison, political labor camps. These camps are reserved for those who have committed the most serious crimes and are considered to be enemies of state. These include Christians and anyone else who dares to question the authority of the ruling Kim family. Here, there are no re-education classes. Prisoners are considered too far gone to re-educate. There is no escape from these camps. And for reasons you can imagine, we have no stories of the prisoners from these political camps. However, we do know that these prisoners are worked to the bone, literally. When they can no longer work, they are executed. These prisoners are also sometimes used in experiments. So we are called upon to pray for these prisoners. While we can pray for these brothers by names, and there are tens of thousands more of our North Korean family, we don't know their names, but God does. And we can pray for them and ask God to be with them and to bring them justice. So Open Doors asks that we pray for these five South Korean prisoners and for thousands of North Korean prisoners, asking God to give them strength and comfort. Pray that somehow, even in the darkest place of the earth, they would know God's love and presence with them. Pray that God would shine a light through them. Pray for the, inter the international efforts to negotiate between the two countries of South Korea and North Korea for Southern South Korea prisoners so they can return to their families. Pray that God will bring change to North Korea and that one day soon the people of the nation will have freedom and justice. And pray for protection for those working with Korean defectors in China. Ask, them to, ask God to give them wisdom and to blind the eyes of those who might seek to find them. So a very disturbing article, but you know, I don't think we should turn our attention just because something is disturbing. If anything, we should pay more attention to it. And so I ask those of you who can contribute um, to Voice of the Martyrs, to Open Doors, to places that are seeking to help these people, um, that you do consider supporting them in some way. Definitely go to their websites and look at the work that they are doing. It is absolutely invaluable and the conditions of the people they support, as you can tell, are just un absolutely unimaginable. So uh, I ask you to join me in prayer for our fellow brothers and sisters who are in prison. Um, just in North Korea, 50 to 70,000 in prison for their faith. I'm going to conclude today with a devotion that is kind of in sync with what we've been talking about. This is from Spurgeon. It's um, from Philippians 4.12. I know how to abound. There are many who know how to be abased, who have not learned how to abound. When they are set upon the top of a pinnacle, their heads grow dizzy and they are ready to fall. The Christian far oftener disgraces his profession in prosperity 
than in adversity. And here I'm going to stop because I do think this is a good lesson when you hear about this poor prisoner and probably more in Korea who are catching mice to eat uh, with their dinner, a few teaspoons of rice. Um, I think it is true that you know, it, it is hard to be a Christian in prosperity. That would be a terrible place to be a Christian, but only God can sustain somebody for that, by that, um, in that lifestyle, for sure. So the Christian far, this, I'm back to Spurgeon now, the Christian far oftener disgraces his profession in prosperity than in adversity. It is a dangerous thing to be prosperous. The crucible of adversity is a less severe trial to the Christian than the fining pot of prosperity. Oh, what leanness of the soul and neglect of spiritual things have been brought on the on have been brought on though that on through the very mercies and bounties of God. I'm going to repeat that. Oh, what leanness of the soul and neglect of spiritual things have been brought on through the very mercies and bounties of God. Yet this is not a matter of necessity, for the apostle tells us that he knew how to abound. When he had much, he knew how to use it. Abundant grace enabled him to bear abundant prosperity. When he had a full sail, he was loaded with much ballast, and so he floated safely. It needs more than human skill to carry the brimming cup of mortal joy with a steady hand. Yet Paul had learned that skill, for he declares, in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. It is a divine lesson to know how to be full, for the Israelites were once full, but while the flesh was yet in their mouth, the wrath of God came upon them. Many have asked for mercies that they might satisfy their own heart's lusts. Fullness of bread has often made for fullness of blood, and that has brought on wantonness of spirit. When we have much of God's providential mercies, it often happens we have but little of God's grace and little gratitude for the bounties we have received. We are full and we forget God. Satisfied with the earth, we are content to do without heaven. Rest assured, it is harder to know how to be full than it is how to be hungry. So desperate is the tendency of human nature to pride and forgetfulness of God. Take care that you ask in your prayers that God would teach you how to be full. And then he has a verse, Let not the gifts thy love bestow estrange our hearts from thee. And that is so truthful, I mean, so, so much truth when you read uh, about these poor prisoners and then you think about how much um, grace, how much bounty we have been given in the rest of the world practically. Uh, we just have to remember where our dependence is and that is with God. It's not on ourselves. Any one of us could be in one of those prisons one day and we need to remember that uh, God's hand has helped us and we must then help our brothers and sisters who are in these deplorable conditions. So let not our bounty keep us away from what God is asking us to do and to pray and pray uh, for the persecuted Christians. We need to keep them in our hearts and in our thoughts from those all over the world. And amen to that. So uh, uplifting note that we started with, with pre-decisions and how we can make our lives a bit easier in decision-making and how we can motivate ourselves. 
We went then to a pretty tough uh, but realistic story of what's happening in the world in North Korea. We've heard about Nigeria before and what's happening with the persecuted church. And then just a good reminder from Spurgeon that for the, for the vast majority of us in this country and in most countries who are full, uh, let us not forget where that fullness comes from and let us remember how to depend on God when we are full and when we are hungry. Um, so I'm going to end with prayer, but I'm going to remind you of our Bible study. It's Tuesday nights at 7 Central Time, American Time. And you can um, email me at lisa at branchliving.com. And I would be happy to send you an invitation to our Zoom Bible study. And uh, we have quite a group. It's a lot of fun. It's just an hour long. We have no set readings. Right now we are in John and we just go at our own pace and let the discussion take us where it does. Um, I do want to ask you not only to pray for the persecuted church, but I had another prayer request come. Um, one of them, well, actually two more. One is for a person who um, is a repairman, who was a young man who has cancer and unexpectedly is now back um, having chemotherapy. So let's pray for him. And then also one of the um, listeners and one of our Christian family here at Branch Living at Nigeria is asking for continued prayer for his business. So let's go before God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for giving us a lighthearted introduction on pre-decisions and also giving us the strength to hear the terrible tales of the persecuted church, but to be mindful of them and to be mindful of our need to pray for them. And then also the lesson from Spurgeon that's just a cautionary note to us to uh, not take bounty for granted and not to forget the grace that we need from you during times of bounty. We lift up this repairman who now finds himself um, having cancer. We ask you to bring him complete healing. We also pray for our brother's business in Nigeria. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So thank you for uh, listening through this. Again, remember Open Doors uh, Ministry. You can see them on the website. Remember Voice of the Martyr. If there are others that I should know about, shoot me an email and let me know about them. I'm always looking for uh, good sources and good ministries that really do do the tough work of supporting the persecuted church. So until we talk again next time, stay close to God, stay in touch, and I will chat with you again soon.